Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot toddy. Good to be with you again, friends, as we get into another installment of our True Crime series. If you're not familiar with it, what we do is we pick a film based on a true crime case, and then we talk about the real story and the film and how they may or may not relate to each other. So, today, we've chosen a pretty... I mean, they're all kind of somber topics, right? We're talking about murder. That's sure. Not, you know, not exciting topics. But uh, a case that has certainly been close to all of us because of the timeline and the ages when it happened. And uh, today we're talking about a film called Devil's Knot, based on the true story about the West Memphis Three. Let's talk about some opening impressions of... Just the West Memphis Three case, what your history is with it, uh, yeah, what you brought up to this point that got us here to the podcast. Uh, for me, this is, <clears throat> as you said, all of these topics are somber with true crime, but this one kind of has some extra elements to it. Uh, for starters, this will be the only one we ever cover where we're in our own way connected to it, um, and in a, a very minor way, um, as bigger as part of a bigger effort um, to ultimately affect how some of it played out in its own own ways. Um, but for me, I was originally shown this by Grizz uh, and immediately became almost insufferable on the topic because it upset me so much. And I think, uh, you know, and, and we can get into it more as we go, but I, I related to the people that were arrested for this in some ways um, and and just felt... Like it was such, such a, a miscarriage of justice. At the same time, also pertaining to a very sad case, um, and that it just it just felt so dirty in all directions. Um, and so, so yeah, and and we we'll go into more to kind of the the after effects and and shocks of some of this stuff later. But how my perceptions on how I was initially taught this case, how I viewed some of those documentaries and other things later through a different lens too. It's it's this is a very unique experience to discuss with this this one. Absolutely, Toddy. Um, I can't remember if I I know uh, we probably didn't have HBO at the time. I really wasn't quite familiar with this was at all. So the documentary, the uh, Paradise Lost documentary, introduced me to this case, and I I remember. Um, I can't remember if the sc- we got a screener on it first or whatever, but um, we used to do kind of like movie night on Tuesdays, and my mom hates horror films. She loves mysteries and 
I can't even think if we, like, we definitely didn't pop in documentaries, so we uh, would go to her friends and always watch movies and have dinner, and we watched this movie, and I don't think up, I don't remember seeing anything like this up until this point, where, I mean, when it starts out, they, the children's bodies, you see everything. Um, you know, I feel like even when, like, uh, news channels and stuff play, like, the news and stuff isn't like it is today. Um, they definitely didn't show you things like this. Mm-hmm. And and then, like, you know, uh, the professor just said, then you also have the uh, the three accused. It's like, wow, uh, you know, I, to quote my brother and sister who used to tell my mom for letting me like horror movies and read all this stuff, and I'm going to grow up to be a serial killer. So definitely relatable that these kids who like Stephen King and wear black t-shirts and listen to a certain kind of music and like horror, um, you know, they're basically pegged out from, um, I guess, leftover satanic panic that had hit this little small town. Um, and, and I want to say, too, like this was 90, 96 is when the documentary came out. So I feel like that's also like when this started happening was like uh, uh, court TV, like all this stuff was kind of new, but like with OJ Simpson and uh, the Menendez trial and um, a lot of this kind of stuff was being documented so people could watch it. Um, but yeah, that's how I was introduced to the case. And, um, and like I said, I don't think I'd ever, you know, just, just from movies and stuff, I'd never really seen actual like images like this documentary shows you. Yeah. And then the the um, the murders themselves. Um, so and and sadly, that's kind of how I follow the case too. Is the other documentaries. So. Venomous Vinny. So, this comes out in around '96. I'm graduating high school around that time. Uh, I grew up. We had the Farmer Four channels. I did, didn't have HBO. I want to say. The first time I consciously remember hearing anything about this was probably from you, Grace. Um, I think I may, because there are, you know, some pretty famous people from that era tied in with this case who took an interest in it. And maybe I had heard the phrase West Memphis 3 before, but I didn't really know much about it. So this episode really is my first true exposure to the case and wow. what all it entails. Wow. Which I, I guess I'll, I'll go into the the details of where it hit me and how as we go along and get into some of the details of the case. Uh, but yeah, this was this this is my first real dig in and find out what this case was really about, and it was equally fascinating and repulsive to me. At the, I, I I watched The Devil's Knot, and then after that I watched four documentaries. After I had watched that, all in the course of a week, like I was, Ooh. I wanted to. I don't know. I, it was like I say, it was so interesting. But like Todd said, I was not prepared for uh, actual crime scene footage of nude eight-year-old children. Brutal, bound by their hands, hogtied on the banks of this. I just, I was not ready for that, and that, and the photos they showed in the courtroom will 
never leave me. Sure. Yeah. And if we haven't already said, those documentaries are Paradise Lost 1, 2, and 3, and then West of Memphis. Uh, those are the four documentaries when we say documentaries about this subject. So, this one for me goes all the way back to, um, I don't remember when the case happened, um, but Professor and I were in Chicago. Uh, no, maybe Professor wasn't with us on that trip. We went to Chicago to visit Eric's mom. And we were walking around bookstores in Chicago, and uh, the book of which the film is named after, Devil's Knot, by Mara Leverett, uh, which Todd has on the table, I've got on the shelf over there. Professor may have brought his copy. Mine's um, nine. Oh, nice. Just kidding. Uh, not nice. <laughs> uh, I had se- I kept seeing this book in all the bookstores we went to. It had just come out. It had received a lot of uh, acclaim. And I was just getting into true crime around that time. And Which Debbie, the mother that we would go up and visit, uh, was always a good source for conversation on true crime. I remember she even had an encyclopedia in the car that I think Eric had brought. And we would flip through weird driving around places. She gave me one. So my first true crime encyclopedia came from her. Very perfect. Yeah. Um, so shout out. Uh, Debbie. Yep. <laughs> um, and so I didn't read it at that time. I just remember the cover staying with me and like the reading the dust jacket that sticking with me in that story. And I found it used in Goodwill, of course. That's crazy. Yeah. Just about a couple years later. Uh, I was living in Louisville, Kentucky. It's around 2005. I read the book and was absolutely blown away. And in that way, worked backwards to find the first two documentaries because they were out before the book was. Um, yeah, and the, the book is 2002, so that's kind of uh, after the second, well, year or two after the second. After Paradise Lost Part 2. Um, was that called Revelations? Uh, yeah, the second one's Revelations. Yeah, third one, Purgatory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went out, and, and so I retroactively went back, found the documentaries, and between the book and the documentaries, I literally told everyone I could about this case. Just... Everyone who had any interest in current events, true crime, etc., and I'm like, listen, you got to watch these. you got to watch these. And so then I remember in 2008, moving up here, it's probably around the same time I told Professor about it, when I moved back to Muncie, and we passed those documentaries around his office with his co-workers like yep. it was a plague. Like, yeah. loaning it to them, they were loaning it to their friends, etc., etc., Turned uh, Mad Chan from the show originally onto the case as well. He told lots of people. And, um, yeah, I don't want to, again, you can't take credit, but at the same time, around that same time, Professor goes on, he donates money, he buys shirts, he buys bumper stickers, he gives us all bumper stickers, we're putting them on our laptops and everything. Like, we were into it. Like, we were really into following this and, you know, just signing any petition we could find, etc., to try and get this thing turned around. And so uh, that's my introduction to the case, finding that book in Goodwill. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, and, I'm, and I don't know if there'll ever be full resolve to the case, but um, I'm glad that as we cover it now that we are in a situation where we've furthered way more along from from where we were kind of rapidly obsessed with this for different reasons back then. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, shall we get into the true case? Yes, we'll uh, 
try and get through this quickly because I know it's not the, the most fun, but it is important. Uh, the West Memphis Three consists of Damian Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly, uh, three men convicted as teenagers in 1994 of murders the previous year of three boys in West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, beyond the tragic loss of young life, this case was also notable for being uniquely covered by documentary filmmakers, as we've already alluded to a little bit, uh, with what was basically full access. And to the best of my recollection, I've never seen anything like this before or since. Yeah. Um, and just full disclosure, I, I don't think we'd be talking about this if they hadn't been given full no access. Way. I think the outcome would have been the same with no pressure campaign or anything, yeah. um, which we'll get more into that, I'm sure. Uh, but many viewed the case through the lens of these documentaries as a complete miscarriage of justice um, and a mounting campaign that kind of followed from there uh, with lots of almost movie-like um, red herrings and other dramatic kind of side spins on things. Uh, but So the, the actual unfortunate events happened on May 5th of 1993. Uh, three eight-year-old boys, Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers, were reported missing in West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, the, first, the first report of this uh, to the police was made by Byers' adoptive father, John, around 7 p.m., the boys were allegedly last seen together by three neighbors around 6.30. Uh, that evening they disappeared, um, and neighbors had seen Terry Hobbs, uh, stepfather, uh, calling for them to come home. Initial police searches made that night were limited, and a more thorough police search for the children began around 8 a.m. the following morning, um, which by all accounts was just absolutely miserable, getting ravaged by mosquitoes and humidity um, down in this little uh, area. Uh, Robin Hood Hills. Uh, around 145, juvenile parole officer Steve Jones spotted a boy's black shoe floating in a muddy creek that led to a major drainage canal in Robin Hood Hills. A subsequent search of the ditch revealed the bodies of three boys. They had been stripped naked and were hogtied with their own shoelaces, their right ankles tied to their right wrists, and left arms and legs. Uh, Christopher Byers had lacerations to various parts of his body and mutilation of his genitals. Uh, the autopsies uh, by forensic Pathologist Frank J. Peretti indicated that Byers died of multiple injuries, while Moore and Branch died of multiple injuries with drowning. Um, police, police initially suspected the boys had been raped. However, later expert testimony disputed this finding. Trace amounts of sperm DNA were found on a pair of pants recovered from the scene. Prosecution experts claimed Byers' wounds were the result of a knife attack and that he had been purposefully castrated by the murderer. However, de defense experts claimed the injuries were most likely the result of post-mortem animal activity, which is, I mean, just to go along with the strangeness of, the, of this case, so much of this stuff is still debated yeah. years later yeah. with witnesses that were just, and we'll get into this, that were just, some of them clowns. Um, but so with that uh Critics argued that the assault at least was likely to have occurred at the creek, um, and they believed that they were killed there. Steve Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore were all second graders at Weaver Elementary School, and each had achieved the rank of wolf in the local Cub Scout pack and were best friends. I just wanted to put that in there as a reminder. That, like These are three little boys. Yep. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the gruesome details of it. Yeah, and we get so wrapped up in arguing about the innocence of the West Memphis Three that... We don't pump the brakes often enough to say, three little boys are dead. Yeah. And we really don't know who killed them. Um, and chillingly enough, I, I can't remember the exact quote, so I'm just paraphrasing here, but one of those detectives said, Damien Eccles finally did it. He finally At the did scene. It. Before they've collected any evidence to lead towards anything, they're already throwing out the name of the local goth kid. Um, just to kind of put into perspective 
how shady this gets quickly. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, they at the three men, three men that we uh, mentioned being arrested, um, were Damien Eccles at 18 years old, Jason Baldwin at 16 years old, and Jesse Miss Kelly at 17. Um, Damien was already on the radar of many in the community as the local kind of young boogeyman uh, with his interests and behavior and subsequently already had the attention of law enforcement before any details had been gathered. Jason Baldwin was his close friend and suffered the wrath by association. And Jesse Miss Kelly got roped into this uh, simply just being railroaded um, with coerced confession. Um, he was a mild-mannered young man who teetered on having mental disabilities, uh, and he would accelerate his this case by a coerced confession uh, that didn't make sense. He kept talking about wrong times of days and ways that they did it, uh, and the police just kept reworking it, rephrasing it, till they got what he wants. Um, and ultimately, I mean, there's some other things that they utilized, but that was the main thing. Yeah. Uh, was this confession uh, that was complete bullshit from a guy who legally shouldn't have been in there. And at minimum, should have had some some representation helping him through it. Much like Brendan Dassey from the Making a yes. Murderer, oh, yeah. Stephen Avery, spot yep. on. Yeah, and especially in the sense of they're they're still mentally like a like a young child, yeah. and so he was thinking, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. Tell them what they want to hear, so I can get out of here. And his dad wasn't any better. He was basically telling him the same thing. You yeah. know, like just help him. Let's get out of here. Yep. And uh, they wouldn't. <laughs> On June 3rd, less than a month after the murders, all three of these youngsters uh, were arrested and charged with three counts of capital murder. And from that, I will kind of leave it to an open discussion here on the court case because if we try and hit every beat of this, um, it'll go on forever. Also, there are documentaries to do that for you. you There's don't need 12 us. hours of documentaries yes. out there that you can get every beat of it. <clears throat> well, let's talk about the boys. Um, Damien... You know, as said, the local boogeyman. Let's be honest. Damien is no killer, but Damien did himself no favors throughout the investigation or the trial at all. <laughs> it's one of the one of the painful things watching this because yeah. you're like, oh man, you don't you don't realize what's at stake here. Yeah. Like you're 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 young and poor and and being buried right well, now. Well, and, and foolishly, unfortunately, believed that. Because they didn't do it, there's no way you can be convicted of it. Yeah, yeah. And because they were literally convicted with zero physical evidence. Yeah. Zero. And so these kids, you will, you believe in justice at some point in your life. You're like, well, I didn't do it, so there's no... I mean, let's take into consideration that the confession from Jesse Miskelly, there were eyewitnesses on the stand that he wasn't even in town that day. He was at wrestling matches. Multiple witnesses. During the time that this happened, none of that mattered to the testimony. Yeah. And, and right, like, as you watch the documentaries, you see, like, Damien and Jason kind of cutting up during the trial and stuff like that. That's because it was so preposterous, they thought there was no way they could be convicted of this. Yeah. And Jason, at one point, in an interview, they said, well, do you think you're going to get convicted? And he's like, well, no, because I believe in God and God wouldn't let this happen to me. You know, like, here's here's a kid, supposedly a Satanist, talking about how his faith in God is going to prevent this from happening. And how, not to be a dick, but how backward south are you to hit the satanic panic a decade later? You <laughs> yeah, know what well, I mean? Like, isn't it landing a little the, late? The same community who got ash and washed jeans a little late, too. <laughs> <laughs> the thing when I watch this, 
this doesn't happen often in these cases, but this hit me in two different ways, from two different directions. One, in 1993, I was 15 years old. I was right around the age of these guys who all of a sudden are snatched up and put on trial for a murder. I can't imagine that. And on the other side of it, I'm a father, so I can't imagine your eight-year-old child that happening to them. But then on the other hand, my son now is also fifteen, about to turn 15. And now to think about him, somebody coming in. So you got quite a few lenses. You my house through. and taking him out and putting him on trial for something where I, as a parent, in Jesse's case, I know he was. I know where he was that night. Yeah. Well, I, I think too. Back originally, why this got to me so quickly was twofold. Obviously, you don't want to see a miscarriage of justice. You don't want to see people go to prison without proof of things and being railroaded. But also, I could see them being my friends. Yeah. Like, they were a, a few years older than me and Grizz, but I still related in the sense of, like, this This could have been me and my friends. Yeah. Um, I, was, I, I was the weird... I grew up in a town of a pop, with a population of 1,100 people. And my best friend growing up, Adam Glass, was the only other person in our community who we got UFO and Bigfoot books from our library, and we listened to the Dr. Demento show, like... We were into the Stephen King. We were we were the weirdos in a small town, yeah. so this also hits me that way as well. I think yep. I dated his brother George. <laughs> um, <laughs> George Glass. No I, I made the connection. I still just took it to Jeff. <laughs> Listeners will <laughs> if you watch the Brady Bunch. Um, kind of like Vinny said, this hits home in different ways. So. I think this is what the documentary got me. Um, just like redoing all of this for uh, for this episode hit me in a different way too. But I was pretty much the same age as as the three, which I think people forget too. I mean, they're kids. If I was put in, I would be the same exact way. I'd probably first off be telling how I'm going to curse the town, uh, <laughs> since you think I'm a witch, anyways, and. Um, and then on the other side of it, I wasn't that many years away from riding my bike with my friends from Cub Scouts to where this, I mean, just to think of their final moments. And, and the more you hear about it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone still has different theories. I think it's someone they knew. And, and in oh, fact, I think it points to one of their family members. But, I mean, just thinking that's their final moments. And then, again, I, watching the documentary now, I can't imagine, like, I just think about, I like Vinny said, um, you know, 96, when the documentary came out, I graduated in 97. So I got to spend um, being an adult in the free world where these three kids spent most of their, their formative years. Yeah. Went to fucking prison. Which they were... Um, <laughs> As child murderers. They were finally released August 19th, 2011, which they, they still had to plead, you know, to their, their guilt... That they didn't do anything. Which even that in itself, I think that's another thing, is there's there's so many levels that plague this case. Number one, three innocent little kids were murdered. And everyone knows that the killer's still there. And even the um, prosecutors, but for them to reopen the case would, would be to admit that the three are not guilty. And they'd have to probably pay them in a lawsuit. 
So to save money, they're not going to do that. Um, since I think the documentaries are cool because even um, even if you feel one way in the first one, when the second one comes out and you start seeing new evidence, I don't know. I just don't understand why um, all this evidence is there and no one's able to do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah, because around is it because I didn't rewatch the documentaries this time around because I've seen them a hundred times. But part two is where we start introducing the animal bite evidence and stuff like that, yep. isn't it? Yeah, where it's like where it just becomes even more bonkers, right? Because yeah. after the first one, it's bonkers. Well, well, when I watched the first one, I I, I kind of feel like um, the one stepdad did it. Oh well, so, but then I but but if you put yourself in his shoes again, you just lost your kid. And he's like over there, like he reminded me of like a like a wrestler. <laughs> That's exactly. I was talking to Brent Terhune about Brent this case, show. and uh, Brent totally said, "Is it was it Mark Byers that yeah. he was totally cutting wrestling promos on Damian Eccles yeah. during the whole show?" And I think that was his way of dealing, to be honest. Uh, but but when you watch the first documentary and even the second one, I'm like, this guy did it. Well, and that that is the detriment of the first two documentaries is that. That is the story they wanted to tell. And that's where you should always tread lightly with documentaries in general. Yeah. In that, shh. I mean, could he have had something to do with it? Sure. I mean, we, we still could say that. I mean, he was a... You can always speculate. Yeah, he was a he was a CI for the local police. He was dabbled in and out of the drug game in that town. Like, could he have pissed off the wrong person that decides to kill his kid? Sure. I Which mean, is possible. no different than what put those kids in jail, though. It's just... Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so, in effect, in retrospect now, when you look back at parts one and two, you can feel kind of scummy about that. 100%. I wanted to make sure we talked about this, because I was so fixated on these movies originally at their access that had been granted, that I wasn't paying attention to the salacious spins they were trying to do on some of these characters. And again, Byers is like Eccles in the sense of he's not doing That's himself what I was any about favors. To say he w- he's loving that camera, and I, it's like I'm not blaming him for that. In the sense of grief is different for everybody, and man, he may have just been spiraling out of control. But he's not helping. No, he's with not. That. And, and he's half truths and then lies and coming into a lie detector test higher than giraffe pussy, like <laughs> just. <laughs> That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I re- I'm really glad we touched on that, and I don't want to jump to the film too it's, soon, but I-, I really appreciate that they dealt gently with him and the movie Devil's Knot that yeah, we're going to talk yes. about eventually. Yeah, um, I think that probably had to deal with, with when it came out and that the book came out way later, too. Yeah. Because another thing is, I don't think people notice it, but the um, uh, the one that in the movie Reese Witherspoon plays, but the mom... That interview they do with her, she's and, and again, if you put yourself in her shoes, she's probably like out of her mind. Oh, yeah. But she has they gave his uh, Boy Scout scarf back yeah. to her, and she's kind of being goofy. Yeah. But then, like that's probably the way she made it through the day. Yeah, you're right. Well, there's that news footage where she collapses. That is gut wrenching. I I cannot imagine that happening to you. You fall apart like that, but you have to pick yourself back up. You have to go on, and what you have to wake up the next day, yeah. and that reality. And so you, yeah, and and I feel I I can't imagine what all of those parents went through. 
and I in no way want to seem like I am uh, not being sensitive to that at all. But Mark Byers does absolutely like that camera, <laughs> and I and he's he's getting some scratch for being part of the production. Well, I'm sure too. And he probably the, needed it when you feel helpless in the middle of this circus. You want to control the narrative. Yeah. At least some people do, and I think yeah. that's what's happening Guys, here. But where he lost any sympathy for me was the mock funerals. Oh yeah, no, where I'm he, not denying I mean, he gets that, ridiculous. So like, that's what I'm saying. I don't want to sound like I'm I'm dismissing the tragedy that they went through. But in that documentary, when he walks out with a camera crew to do mock funerals for Damien, uh, Jesse, and Jason, and burning it and cutting wrestling promos about it, it's just like man, you're you're you've somehow managed to make me lose sympathy for you. Yeah. Which which on the other side of that though is is I think that he was probably I think all three were kind of in similar situations but they had to have assistance to even pay for the funeral of their kid. And yeah. something that's not mentioned in a lot of this which is understandable is I think every family there's other siblings, there's other brothers and sisters. Mm. Um but you know I Probably the way the documentary spirals out, it's probably good that they never put the kids on there. But oh, yeah. man, I couldn't imagine. Again, from that angle, is this is your brother or sister? Um, I don't know. It's crazy. This yeah. is another important element of this case that I it's mentioned, but I feel like it's kind of overlooked in the spirit of everything. Is these were not just poor kids; these were dirt poor kids. Yeah. And so I really think that that highlights an important element of this case, which is justice is different for you in America if you're poor. Oh, yes. yeah. And, like, Damien was so poor, and it's been outlined on other podcasts and certainly in, in the book, um, he was moving around from, like, shanties in the middle of fields. They'd get doused with pesticide yeah. with no warning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, like, living on top of each other with countless siblings and family members in these small spaces. Um, and so these these kids really did not have any of the resources needed to hang with capital murder charges. And you can see that some of the documentary, but I feel like it's kind of lost in the shuffle when it's talked about is that's a huge element of this is it's un- the part of the unfairness is because they can't afford for things to be fair. And, and I, and also I don't think we've put the spotlight on the fact that, so you have three kids murdered. So the community's in an uproar. Yep. You're 30 days in, and you still don't have a suspect in cuffs, they got to make a quick decision to get the public off their asses, which, which the police do, they were already, which is what happened. And they were already eyeing them before yes. the murder ever happened. And that I don't think it's talked about enough either, is that the FBI, there, there's even a whole thing with the FBI and the town police because they don't like each other because the FBI was already investigating officers for criminal activity. And then they had already had like a, like that... I don't want to call him an idiot, but he definitely has... He has a PhD. When he's interviewed, he had zero classes. Yeah. It was um, a by mail certification. Yes, a guy that's helping <laughs> bury these kids, in, and it's being hung on a degree that he bought online. Is it Jerry Driver? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and uh, But they, the police had already had... Um, none of this was new. The police had already been looking into... Um, Satanic rituals and, and, and how to uh, find this thing. They were already doing all of this stuff. And think about the this, is, this is a police department that is reacting to rumors in the community 
like, wouldn't you think your police department would be smarter than to think that Damien Eccles is really out having satanic rituals with a, a, a fucking coven of Satanists? And, and you know, like, therein lies the core of, of why this was so infuriating originally is you depend on the way our justice system is set up to combat human nature and poor decision making and presumptive thinking with that. And so with with them and this situation, you have and, and this has been mentioned I know on other podcasts that it's important to remember what those cops had been through that discovered these kids. Yeah. And what they had yes. to deal with with getting through that and how upset and angry they were and how that will help you connect the dots sometimes irrationally. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, this is where you count on the justice system to clean that up. And what's I think the most terrifying about this case besides somebody being able to murder you know three children is that you can go away for that on nothing yeah and the only reason these that any of this happened is because they let the cameras in this happens all the time yep yep that's what's so scary about this this got notoriety because it had big time interesting films made about it um but i I remember that's what what shook me about this is just thinking it kind of opened this door in my brain, like, wait. <laughs> oh, wait, they don't need evidence happen? to put you away? Yeah. How how many people are sitting in prison for on things like this because a community was scared and upset? Holy shit. I think that something that that is amazing to me, considering the raw emotion that is in this case, is that you even get to a point where victims' parents start to say, wait a minute. Yep. Even Mark Byers is like, these guys didn't do this. I mean, because you see it in that first documentary. When those guys get convicted, you see the relief on, I don't even know if relief's the right word. Because how do you get relief from that? But you do see the anger for certain in all of those parents. And to see that conviction. And, you know, the uh, what's uh, Christopher Byers' mom, you know, talking about I'm going to send a skirt to the prison for Jesse Miskelly and all this other shit, you know? I mean, you see the hate that they had for these three guys because they believe they killed their kids. And then to later, your police work was so sloppy and when presented, these people had an open enough mind to say, wait a minute, I think you guys fucked up. Right. That's cra- I mean, that should be an indicator for you. Well, let's be honest. That's why those guys are not in prison now. Yeah. Damien Eccles was on death row. If they thought that these three really murdered three children, would they have let them back out on the street for any reason whatsoever? Fuck no, they wouldn't. Have. Especially Damien, who really hasn't changed as the the goofy goth kid yeah. at all. Like he's still that. You see interviews with him. You, you read his book, uh, Life After Death, was his first one. He's done several since he got out. But you read it and you're like, oh, you are still a goth nerd. Like, <laughs> and so like you're gonna let that guy out of jail if yeah. you really think he killed yeah. kids based on being a goth person. Yeah, yeah. And these characters hung their careers on this case at that point, like the prosecutor and that judge, so much so that the judge kept getting to deny 
entertaining new evidence and, and hearing things again, which was one of the most infuriating things about this before Had to it wait got on resolved. him to retire. Yeah, we'd wait on this guy, again, who sat in on all this and wasn't able to connect the dots in a way that the suffering parents were with the same evidence as it got unfolded. Like, he... he he, to me, was the most tough part of all of this beyond the, you know, obviously graphic crime. Uh, but but watching that judge be so stubborn with people's lives on the line and justice hanging in the balance is what frustrated me to know it. I'd start imagine, getting upset now, and it's okay. And I'm, I still get pissed off yeah, thinking I about mean, him. Imagine being so unwilling to admit that you could have been wrong. Right. That you are going to let three men die in prison. Three boys die in prison. Yeah. Where's the justice in that? And oversaw the goofiest goddamn court case. I mean, some of the stuff that they allowed in there and how they allowed it, some of the witnesses that they had in there. I mean, are there any witnesses that haven't went back on their word from that's that case? That's the other thing that's a blow away. How, how can you have witnesses? This is You're getting to Tiger King <laughs> territory here. But how do you have witnesses in these documentaries say, no, I straight up lied on the stand? Yeah. Well, either that or, or, like, there were circumstances where they lie, but where they just admit, like, well, my mom was in trouble, and they, they coerced. This is how backwards the town is, though. That this, I'm just going to say it, small southern town, that they actually have a African-American right away, uh, that gas stop was, like, right where the woods is, covered in blood. Oh, the Bojangles yeah, restaurant? Yeah, that, to where they didn't even, like, look into that. Yeah. They At lost... All. DNA. They from lost it. the DNA evidence from it. Um, yeah, it's and then unreal. Uh, I think it's crazy, and there's different reasons, I'm sure. But like the the Moore family, uh, to kind of touch on what you were saying, that uh, they bring in Damien's son. You can see the look on his face of like, how dare they? You know, he gets to see his son, and I can't see my son. To to they they're not even in the last couple documentaries because who knows? Like maybe again, like they're just like, man, I don't even want to talk about it anymore, but. I, I I don't know. It's just the it's like a circus of like all the stuff that was allowed. How I, I kind of feel like the judge should be held liable on a lot of this stuff, honestly. Well, because I, the specifics on it, you guys would have to help me. I, I didn't have it in me to watch the documentaries again for for this, but um, the knife that's entered in, I remember that yeah. being very shady. Uh, yes, that knife <laughs> was actually uh, Jason's mom had thrown that out in that lake. A year, a prior. year prior to the crime, it didn't match the wound, and they had—I forget. Oh, well, there's a there's a small serrated part of it. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, yeah, these were done with, yeah, like, which uh, they they chopped these kids but, up, with. and they didn't report it correctly, right, in the evidence. And Jesse Miss Kelly said that it was a folding knife. Yeah. Well, not only that, but like they they I think they had the news conference there. Because they said they thought it was weird that the divers knew exactly like they went the down. Divers went later, to the divers went straight immediate. Um, and then you know, like, which then they kind of discredit the knife that's given to the film crew. Uh, from which again, I don't. I, I just think he was. I, who knows what he was doing? But um, I just uh, got a candy high and I lost my my trail of thought. <laughs> Are there any other witnesses oh, or moments I, in the court that sorry, we want to? I, I was I was going to mention too that um, there just even. Um, I don't know. I just feel like more and more stuff keeps coming out that I just don't. I don't get because like the. So, I, I I don't know if you guys will know this off the top, but because this has sadly happened way too much, but I believe it is like, 
um, I don't think it would be a law, but it would be policy that if a child goes missing, the first people interviewed are parents. Typically, the Always. family is, oh, yeah. is interviewed first. So the stepfather uh, to, um, uh, sorry, it's the ha uh, so it'd be Hobbs. He was never, ever, so Christopher, Christopher, uh, Christopher's father, Moore, he was never interviewed, but he was out of town, and that was proven. The other stepfather who was out searching for his stepson, but he really wasn't, was never interviewed, never questioned, and they never even looked into this guy's past whatsoever, which he has probably a shadier past than the, because uh, the one stepfather, they, they grilled him. Mark Byers, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's insane how they uh, kind of allowed, because I, I think there's even a little kid that's featured like way later, I don't think they showed him in the original documentaries, where he's saying basically that he knows the stuff happened and he saw the stuff and but even the stuff that kid's saying doesn't even really tie in with like stuff that comes out later like for example the the, the knife stuff doesn't even make sense because they're like well he used it to castrate the boy but then they kind of proven that that was probably like a turtle or an animal that that did and that's that. to say most of the marks on them that they claimed were abrasions from the serrated portion of the knife were actually just probably claw marks from turtles during a very specific time of season there where they get hungry yes which was well right. established that right when that occurred fit right into that about the amphibian expert in the document <laughs> <laughs> i'll show you how total bite <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, uh, I was just going to say, so one of the kids that uh, gives a weird confession that they admit is Vicki Hutchins' kid. Yeah. Vicki Hutchins is the lady that, or Hutchison, uh, is the lady that is like, oh yeah, she's she's in trouble for something else. She's like, no, 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 I can I can get to Damien, yes, yes, I can do that, yes. And, I've seen 21 Jump Street. Yeah, Jesse Miss Kelly's my babysitter. Jesse Miss Kelly was her babysitter, <laughs> Whoa. and uh, and and she's like she gets Jesse to introduce her, and they even coach her to put books about witchcraft <laughs> and cult stuff. Go get them from the library and lay them around your house so that Jason thinks it's cool, or not Jason, <laughs> Damien thinks it's cool, and then she makes up the story about. Uh, Damien drives them to an S-Bot. Not a Sabbath, but an S-Bot, which is just a witch hangout. And they have, like, a big orgy. Which, and in, in, the, in Arkansas? <laughs> and, and, A, Damien can't drive. Damien has zero access to a car. But he drove them to a witch orgy S-Bot. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then you've got Jason. Also, they're insinuating there's a library there. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, West Memphis. Y'all doing West Memphis dirty now. They went down to the Piggly Wiggly, and that was not an origin. <laughs> she was well, ridiculous, though. And then there's the, the guy that was one of Damien's cellmates who talks about, oh, yo, Damien said he, 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 he put kids No, no, no it's Jason. Wasn't that the guy that Jason was in Juby oh. with? Who said that Jason was saying that? Maybe. And he put his bowels in his mouth. Yeah, it's maybe. so and painful. Then that, to and then that to. guy comes, and they're like, "So uh, this guy that Jason never met, he just opens right up and tells him ever, all this shit." And that guy even later says, "Yeah, I mean, I was doing a lot of drugs back then. Yeah, man. I, I don't know why man. I did it." <laughs> which uh, comes out and says, "Which fuck you for 
Yeah. Saying that on the fucking well, stand. Get, get like, you, get you a month off your, your time. Yeah. But um, also, guy. though, speaking of Jason, his mother had proof that he was in school. Why they said this would have uh, kind of been started where they would have taken the boys. Well, that's, I mean, it just all goes back. I mean, it's it's all circular. I mean, everything comes back so much to, to Jesse's confession. Yeah. And, like, Jesse saying, well, they took him during the day. No, Jesse. The boys were at school. It was later at night. Yeah. Yeah, it was at night. Yeah. And then, well, they tied him up with, well, then they tied him up with rope. No, Jesse. You know, it wasn't rope. It was shoelaces, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean. All this sort of stuff, yeah. like these, and, and only so he was there for how many hours? Like twelve hours Which, or something, getting questioned, and then they only give you what was it? How many minutes of of recorded confession? Like all that other shit is never submitted or allowed yeah, to be I listened feel, to. I just, just feel incredible. like in a different, in a different, uh, maybe not so much a time because this stuff still happens. But if that was like a, a wealthy kid, this stuff would have not went any further than. Oh, they never would have hit the courtroom because he would have had a lawyer. Y'all ever heard of Brock Turner? Um, One of the last things I want to say is uh, we kind of glazed over it a little bit, but um, this idea of they got out on what's called an Alford plea, um, which is is named after Steve Alford, who played for IU uh, back in the day. Damn it, I was going to make that joke. (laughs) Did you do it? What? Um, no, that's not true. Who's your humor, baby? Who's your humor? Yeah, get you some corn, son. Um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> um, which basically means you sign a document saying you uh, agree that you're guilty, and they let you go. Ba- they agree that you're guilty while maintaining your innocence. Basically, it's it's one of the more confusing things you will come across with with legal stuff and true crime trying to understand it the easiest way i can describe this is this is basically the state saying help us save face to avoid a lawsuit 100 and we'll get get you out of here tonight so we don't have to drag this out which because if you don't and they can take take them to court and prove that they've wrongfully put them in there especially with all that on tape oh arkansas is going to pay through the nose and all those years those boys lost yep in, in the, prison, like because I'm telling you now, you also open they up the would, door to they all, knew, all kinds of other stuff. With they the knew they were never getting another guilty verdict out of that well, case at all. So, so what they're signing is is bullshit to get them out. And an interesting element of this is Jason Baldwin down in the last hour not doing it. Yep, because he was like, "No, I've already been in here this long. I'm not admitting to something I didn't do." Yep. But he ultimately did it to save the life of Eccles, who was on actual death row. Yep. Um, but it, it's basically putting on paper saying, uh, we know that if the state wanted to do this again in a courtroom, they'd win. They've got what they need, but they're going to let us go. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. It's basically a waiver to cut out being sued yep. and facing ramifications yep. for the injustice that and, we all watched people do in detail. And listening to that. That prick was it a prosecutor or whatever? Say, no. I mean, they they signed it. They're guilty. They yeah. they said they were guilty. Days like, yeah. Prefaced by saying, I am innocent, but my counsel has told me it's in my best interest. Yes. But and then for this prick to go out and act like, and then he even says in the next breath, it was to avoid getting sued. Yeah. Was it Gitchell? Which your confidence eleven. 
yeah. asshole. Which is also, again, I why the killer is still walking out there. Because, yeah, because it's closed. Yeah. But um, I think even one of the, that it's came out, one of the main jurors knew all about, like, like they they were like, oh, we're going to, I'm going to get on the jury and we're going to hang these kids because we all know that they're devil worshippers. So, which, it, it, like, I never quite understand. I, I get the uh, jury of your peers. But I feel like when you, even when you, uh, people overlook small towns because they're like, oh, it's, you know, Los Angeles. A small town, everybody knows everybody's business, and you mm. might not know the full story. Like, uh, when I was called for jury duty, which they n- removed me from the stand so fast because I said I heard most of it from Speak Out Richmond on Facebook. <laughs> but they did ask me, like, what I knew, and I was like, well, what am I allowed to say in front of everybody? But, I mean, I was watching in real time that this other guy stabbed this other guy in the heart, and... And then I know a lot of stuff behind the scenes, but that's the thing is you're not supposed to, if, if I know you personally, I shouldn't even be on this stand, but, no. but, but you, you're only supposed to like take an account what they are allowed to tell you yeah. on the stand. So I wish the Alford plea would have uh, had a byline saying that I got to punch each person involved in the stomach one time. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think we busted this thing wide open. What do you all think? I, I think so. One last thing I'd like to say before we get into the film here, uh, and Professor can share about his own personal experience, because this was just memorabilia uh, given to me as a gift, but uh, one of my most prized possessions is that Mad Chan, uh, former host of the former co-host of the show, did get to meet Jason Baldwin at a con, and he got this 8x10, Chad, uh, Mad Chan told Jason Baldwin about me getting him into the case and other people and, and all this stuff. And uh, he got me this 8x10 signed by Jason Baldwin that says, Dear Robert, thank you so much for your prayers and support. It has made all the difference. Thank you, Jason Baldwin. He was a neat guy. Um, I know that Eccles had, had done some conventions as well. He was the guy I wanted to meet. Yeah. And I think for most most guys like us, he's who we relate to. Yes. You see this scared youngster who's, you know, he's not coming from a wealthy background, but he, you can tell he's he's got good in him. He's, he's raised right, and they're doing the best they can. And uh, he he always kept kind of um, faith and integrity uh, through it all. So it, Yeah, integrity it, with a capital I. Now, for those that know me, I'm not big on touching and contact. <laughs> I don't, I'm just not one of those people. I don't freak out about it, but... It's just not my thing. Like, Todd's touching me right now, and I want to stab him. Uh, but I actually got overwhelmed when I met Baldwin and gave him a hug. I did ask permission, uh, but it was just, it was a lot to see him in front of me after all these years because I, I didn't come to this after the fact. I mean, I watched these things while he was rotting away in prison. And so yeah. to see him out and know and get to hear directly from him how everyone <laughs> like us that that bought things and donated money and and even if you didn't have money to buy stuff telling people about the case helped uh share that story was really neat to get to 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 do that one-on-one in person and see him out in the flesh it was it was awesome yeah that's special so i had and and again uh the documentaries was just extra extra credit i guess for this um i hadn't seen the last two documentaries the west of memphis or part three I think his is like a man. It just this scrawny. I, what was he seventeen when they first got him? Eighteen. 
He looked like a. He didn't even look eighteen. I think he, he looked twelve. He was the youngest of the bunch. Well, he, he looked was. twelve. 16. But, Sixteen. But I mean, he didn't even Beautiful look as eight. No. And then you watch the second one. He looks the same. And you know, it, it, you know, we jump quite a bit from two thousand from two, twenty eleven to three, and then twenty twelve for West of Memphis. And he comes out like I mean, he's still kind of a scrawny guy, but he's a middle aged man. Yeah, though. he's a middle aged yeah. man. And I'm like, again, you know, I just think about you know, this isn't like a, a Hollywood movie. Which you know to touch on, I know we're getting ready to roll into the film, but uh, there's a, I think a reason, and I, I probably made the right choice of why I dodged the movie because I don't feel like you can do better than the documentaries. No, I agree. That's but probably why I hadn't watched it. To um, this point. Yeah, it's just insane though that like you know like Wilson just said, it's not like uh, it's edited. I hadn't seen the third or last one, but um, man, I, I watched the first one. It came out, so it's like. You know, you're following this stuff. It's not like you just saw it and you you met the person at a convention. So it's just insane thinking of all the all the time where they were locked up trying to, um, you know, not only prove their innocence to I think they proved it to the world right away, but you know, getting the the justice from it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I'm just I'm just thankful they're out because uh, there's a handful of other cases that I follow. People are still locked up. And, you know, you, you start to lose hope at a certain point. And then these guys got out, and I thought, wow, there can be a little justice in the world. Not all of it, but there can but be some a little. Of it. Is yeah. it justice, though? Well, that's what For I'm them. saying. It's not all the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I feel like uh, one of the turning points, and this is the crazy thing to say, is because better attorneys, um, I can't think of her last name, but Natalie from um, Now the Chicks. Natalie Maines. But... She got sued by the stepfather, Terry for, Hobbs, for for saying stuff that um, you know had he not had he not sued her, because then they're like, all right, buddy, we'll go there because now we can we can uh, we can question you, and that didn't look good for him. And no. I don't want to jump to conclusions the way I was led to, the way everybody was led to with Mark Byers with the documentary because there is a slant, but. Uh, Terry Hobbs' character and some of the signed, uh, what, what do you call that? It's not a confession, but an affidavit. There you go, an affidavit that have been brought of people saying that it's a family secret within the family that he's the one who did it, and then you start hearing about his domestic violence background, the heartbreaking shit you hear of the family the saying daughter. that Stevie. Telling at eight years old, telling them that he doesn't love him the way he loves his sister, and it's by eight years old to know that about the person that's your father figure in your life. Some of the other allegations that come out of, of sexual abuse, and then for Stevie's little sister, who was Terry Hobbs' daughter, where she she doesn't accuse him of sexual misconduct, but she says she had dreams that it happened, and uh. She's been a drug addict because she always has a constant feeling of guilt 24 hours a day and she doesn't know why, which is directly in line with people who've been sexually abused. Uh, if, one way or another, somebody who did this is still out there. If that person is Terry Hobbs and you know all of this shit now and you still won't do anything about it, I can only hope that uh, universal karma finds whoever did this uh, and Which, that kind of justice uh, is, uh, another thing too is Terry Hobbs one of his hairs was found in the, the shoestrings that, yeah, that bound yeah. one of the boys yeah. and the person that he was alleged 
to be playing. Was it the guy who's playing guitar with? Some of his his al- his alibi is not uh, which the alibi okay. is definitely but a shot. Don't forget. Without looking into any of that. Nope. nope. Because yeah. if you connect the dots, you open up the door for what they made go away with the Alfred plea. There, therein lies the permanent infuriating yep. element of yep. this. Yep. You can, you can pile up all the evidence till you're blue in the face. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. But HBO has been itching for Paradise Lost Four. I'm sure they have. I'm sure you read they have. <laughs> <laughs> So the guys so that felt good to have a laugh after an hour of talking about this. So the movie, the, the movie. Not. Let's let Todd take him a swig here. Well, let's do the Devil's Knot since that was picked by you know of all the all the movies you could have picked. The Devil's Knot, twenty thirteen. Are um, there a lot of movies that were made about this case? <laughs> I mean, this is the only movie, but oh well, then that's uh, why we would pick it. All right. Carry on, you wayward soul. I mean, I'm sure there's some garbage made-for-TV movie that would have been better, but uh, The Devil's Not. This is the equivalent. Colin Firth, Reese Witherspoon, uh, James Hamrick playing Dame Nichols, based on the book by Maria Leverett. Um, The movie came out in 2013. West Memphis 2012. I feel like like everything took a turn over the, the last bit of evidence that came out. Because if this would have been made earlier on, it's cool that Reese Witherspoon played the character, and I, I buy her as the mom, but she is would not be the main character of this case. I feel like the movie had good actors. Um, it had a decent budget. It just completely missed the mark, uh, largely. Um, it, maybe if you didn't want to talk about things that you can't prove, then just don't talk about it. I feel like the kids, um, you know, you said it earlier, the kids are largely forgotten about the three that are dead. Yeah. Um, maybe this could have been their little bit of justice is to kind of feature them a little bit more. Um, and I do want to say that that was one of my favorite things about the film is that they, they cast the kids so well that even in a short period of time at the beginning, you, you're invested in those little kids. I mean, they and they 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 barely had any roles at that point. Like, I mean, you know, they just you just see how happy they are. They're out of school. You know, uh, Stevie Branch loves his mom, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, it's yeah. It, that really connected me to the kids a little bit more, even though it was just a small part of the film. Yeah, I think the strongest element of the movie is that, yeah. um, and choosing a character that is very relatable in the mother. Um, and her experience, and kind of getting back to the the experience as a victim um, that we really never had with the documentaries, because right up front, this movie's doomed. There is really no other case <laughs> with this compelling list of documentaries that have been made yeah. that extensively and exhaustively cover yeah. all of it. You do not need a movie. Here's the interesting part, which I hadn't paid attention to until I talked directly to Baldwin, I think he mentioned it there, if not somewhere else on a podcast. But their producers. Oh, really? The three boys raised money through this to help with their life. Wow. This was made not long after it got moving, at least not long after they were freed. And so if you look it up, I think at least Miss Kelly and uh, Baldwin are executive producers on it. Reese Witherspoon, I think, specifically got them involved. Um, 
with that. And so at first it's like you think, oh, gross, they get out and they're making money off. But no, it's not that. It's to help them. I mean, sure. These guys had nearly two decades robbed of them. Yeah. Um, Miss Kelly's not writing any books. I'm not making fun of him. It's like this is a way to help him. But yeah. you know that's funny that you to know that now because I feel like this movie almost leaves some ambiguity. I don't think it, it's straightforward. These guys are innocent. Yeah, I think there's still some ambiguity left, and I'd find that odd if they were involved in the production of it. I, th- I think that it's it's more about steering the focus back to the children. Even one of my favorite things about it is how they chose to finish the movie and dedicate it to them with those boys going across that pipe before, yeah, you know what was inevitably the end of their young lives. Um, but so it's like that's that's the main thing. I my takeaway from this movie that I want to point out to listeners: the movie's fine, and for something that was doomed, they made every right decision they could for how they handled it. It's very respectful. They do not lean into yeah. a bunch of crazy-ass theories or vilifying certain people. It's just about like, hey, here's this miserable thing that happened. Here's our way of telling you about it. And I think Reese Witherspoon specifically did a, a nice job. Mm-hmm. with Because a lot of times when you get uh, big-time performers like that portraying middle to lower class people it comes off as very condescending and I didn't really feel that in this situation uh, with her uh, I thought that that she really put viewers in the shoes of, of a grieving mom Yeah, I, I am glad that I went into this and watched this first this really this movie is my, my first uh, brush with the details of, of this so watching it in that order that was great to then go into those documentaries and then have it busted wide open for you with all of the details. Um, but after watching the the four documentaries, the movie has much less of an impact on me at this point. But I remember getting into it, and I remember because I knew nothing, and I remember being like, "Oh God, are they? Oh God, is it the kids? Please don't be the kid, little kids. Please, oh God, it's the little kids." And immediately you just get that feeling in the pit of your gut. And so I knew it wasn't going to be an easy watch. Not that these true crime ones ever are, but I knew this one was going to be especially difficult to get through. And then once I was done with it, though, it did have my, it had my curiosity. I was like, okay, so now I want to hear why this is so famous for, for how, you know, and these guys are pretty, presumed innocent beyond a shadow of a doubt at this point. And then watching those documentaries it was made crystal clear what exactly happened. But I th- I did think it was kind of ambiguous in the movie itself. The movie I think the best word is fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone asked me online, what, what what did you think? You know, I really like the stories. I'm like, it's fine. It's not great. It's not terrible. Yeah. It's fine. I think if the documentaries didn't exist, then, then I probably would have been like, oh, that's a great movie. It's like a light beer. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, just just thinking about the dates though, because the movie was the movie is the last thing I think they've done so yeah. far. Twenty thirteen. Part of their thing was to not be in any trouble. They were released in twenty eleven. You haven't heard anything, anything from any of them. Nope. Because I know Miss Kelly. Even like they ask him what he's gonna. He's just like I just kind of want to live my life and just be left alone and and stay out of trouble. And like. Damien's hanging out with Johnny Depp and Eddie Vedder. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm good. He's written, he's written several books. Damien has. 
Um, I don't think Jason's written one yet, has he? That well, that was the main reason he was at the convention. He was trying to to raise money to, to help kickstart that. Okay. Uh, he had a girlfriend there with him that had been with him through uh, all of that stuff while he was incarcerated for many of those years. And I actually sat and chatted with her after the show a little bit oh, cool. out in the lobby. She was really nice about, about raising money for wanting to write a book, but I don't know where he got with that. Not to backtrack, but another thing that did resonate with me was when they're released and Jason's in the hotel room eating food that's not prison food for the first time and the the sheer joy on his face and then the astonishment of like the simplest like what cheese being on a salad like you don't think of us living the lives we you don't think about those things that we take for granted and then when his mom walks in the door and it's just ugh, that that whole moment there in in that hotel room with him it just the gravity of what he had been through and the relief for all of those people was kind of overwhelming when i watched it yeah and you can't you can't give those years back but at least he those guys got out young enough to still enjoy something. Yes. Yeah, they still got a little life. Which it, it's kind of insane if you think about how many, how many lives this impacted and and, and probably greatly ruined. Yeah. Uh, from the from the you know the parents of the children, the siblings of the children, just people directly involved, and then, I mean, par- I, I don't know if paradise. I don't know if it's the subject matter or just you know I kind of feel like they're really. I mean, there's been stuff like that. I just think everything combined, it made it like... I mean, this town had to be like a circus for, for quite a long time. When did they go to jail? 93? 94. 94. 94. So imagine you... Or, well, sorry, they were arrested, I think, in 93. Okay. Which, which, that's something that's brought up, too, that, that's insane, is that you're you're innocent and too proven guilty, but they've been locked up ever since they were yeah. accused. Imagine you are in your late teens in 1993. You go to jail. Eat jail food. You get out in 2011 TV. I thought you were going to say... Can you imagine how your mind would be blown? You were arrested watching Roseanne, and you get out to see Roseanne. And, and, and And also, these guys probably weren't eating the best food for their lives before that. Right, yeah. yeah. Was ER on... The whole time? (laughs) I think so. I I just want to run down the film real quick. Uh, I'm glad that they portrayed the stuff from Bojangles in there. I think they handled that well. I think the film had good direction in having flashbacks and flash forwards and stuff like that. I think that that was handled well. Um, I think some of the parts that really got me in the film, they they handled really well the finding of the first body because that's pretty spot on to how it happened and that he stepped on something. They also didn't shy away from it like Hollywood frequently. No, does. they which, didn't. Which, just to have that in there, because I think that is a. I, mean, I hate saying it, but I feel like if that would have been cut away, because I think that's part of what got people when they watched the documentary. Yeah. You know, the, the the police officer steps on something, says, "Please don't let this be the boy." Reach down, pulls up a boy, and I got to tell you. I'm around a lot of dead adults. It's an occupational hazard. You know, I, I, I'm at the bedside of dying people. I'm at the casket of dying of dead people uh, often. But man, dead children. I have not had 
the unfortunate task of having to do any of that in my life or career yet. And that was a rude awakening. I knew what I was in for when that yeah, scene Yeah, when happened. he pulls that child, I almost wept. Like, I honestly did. I've seen the documentaries time and time again, but the, 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 how well they portrayed that in the film was well done. And I, I, I want to say the other thing that was really well done was when Pam Hobbs took his homework to the teacher. Yeah. Because it's just part of her grieving process. Just trying. Just trying. Just trying to find something. I, I did like that they recreated the the, the new scene with, with the... Because it was can, such can, a weird can I, thing. Can I finish my no, thought? No, you can't. Can I? <laughs> you have no chicken. And and all the kids got up and gave her a hug. Yeah. And I thought that was a really That was a tough, tough scene, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> when I say it's fine, it's got some good stuff going sure. for it. Oh, yeah. But it's just not great. <laughs> Especially when you have that contrast. Yeah. It's, it's merely based on what exists. Because yeah. if I were to ask all three of you guys list off what they did wrong and what they should have done, you're not going to have much. No. It's just it's a product of what it can be. Yeah, exactly. They had to fit it into a runtime for a movie. Yeah. Instead, you have, what, 12 hours of documentary? Yeah. But it's... Well, go ahead. I was going to say, and for a two-hour film, it doesn't feel like it drags. No, no, no it doesn't. I was going to say, Hollywood constantly gets a bad rap of leaning into stuff for cash, and and this couldn't be further from that. I mean, they, you can tell that the purpose of this is setting out to make something they know that is not going to be able to compete with things that already exist, but it's so that they can tell elements of the story that are important, that are kind of lost on viewers with the reality of these documentaries. It, like, let's lean into some of the... Uh, really just heartbreaking moments, the quiet moments that the documentary is not going to be able to show. Yeah. Let's let's dramati- dramatize uh, her hearing her son singing. He's not around anymore. Yeah. And I, you can tell that these, these aspects of it were important to them with this movie and telling that and kind of showing the sobering realities of it without ever being sensational. And her son was singing Elvis, and I knew that Vinny would not recover from that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Loving Elvis, being a dad. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's hard. I think, uh, I don't know, to me, I, I kind of, I see why they made the movie, but it's almost like they kind of felt like their hands were tied when they made it, because the documentary can show all the different aspects where a movie can Mm-hmm. And either the movie had to be done because they could have definitely made a movie where they're like, "Well, this is how it really happened." But I mean, other than all this uh, evidence that's still out there that could be investigated, um, no one knows for sure. So, also, never underestimate the general public of America. How? how where they this... don't read, <laughs> and they certainly don't go tr- seek out a bunch of documentaries. This reached a whole host yeah, of Americans that point. did not know about the injustice left on the table here. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that for, for us, that we've consumed all the rest, it's a different experience, but there's a lot of people who casually went, watched that and went, holy shit, are you kidding me? And then they maybe go look at some of those things. Yeah. Did this, this, this end with just like them saying what happened at the end? Is that... Yeah. Well, because I'm, I'm wondering when they started filming this because I know the, um, was it Western Memphis? They had to reshoot the, the that all happened while they were filming it. Well, so yeah. not reshoot it, but add on the them being released. Yeah. I like that uh, on last podcast on the left, they pointed out that if you uh, consumed Lord of the Rings, you helped get the West Memphis Three <laughs> out of jail. Yeah, yeah, that's how uh, West of Memphis got made. So yep. Peter Jackson money. Yep. Yeah, um, 
I, I think the the night of the arrest was portrayed well. Yes, because um, I think they were watching like Texas Chainsaw Two or something the night mm-hmm. that they got arrested. Yep, they were just hanging out at the trailer. The cops come. I think they did that well. They got Jason's uh, Metallica shirt right, um, which was literally one of only like two black shirts that he owned. You know, when, right. and they're lumping him in with with Jesse and all that. And, like he had a Metallica shirt. He's not a devil worshiper. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which which I think that in itself, too, is because Metallica is definitely a group that they don't usually just put their self... You know, like, I mean, they oh, their music's in all the documentaries. Which uh, was a big deal. That was the yeah, first time. But they not did in that. the movie. Well, and, yeah. and they replaced a, it with Slayer. So yep. it's, which it's, was that's great. That's true. Not, yeah. not in the movie, but the fact that they featured in the documentary. Cause, sure. Because they're not, they're not a group that's just like, take our music. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You're right. I mean, that's, that's a good point to bring up. Yeah, because. Sure. Because <laughs> Lars is a dickhead, and so uh, yeah, if you're listening, Lars, I'm talking to you. Uh, which I did want to bring that up while we're talking about is that um, it's kind of almost surreal, but the, the uh, Stranger Things four is the Eddie's character. I've heard is is I had heard that in tribute to Damien, and and the cool thing is is how many people love that character. Yeah, and that um, there's a girl at work again. Um, she doesn't have the. Um, she's definitely misled quite a bit, but we were talking about this case. She liked Stranger Things because she wasn't sure who he was, and she watched the first documentary because that's she comes in with kind of like uh, anybody that watches the first one with knowing who the killer is because it's definitely the crazy stepdad. And I'm like, you gotta watch. Wait till you watch the rest. You got seven um, more hours. But to it's go. cool that she kind of. I mean, it, it weirdly, Stranger Things kind of yeah. turned around to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well. Any other thoughts? On that really film? is. I know sometimes we reach on those things, but that, that is an interesting kind of tie-in, just timing-wise, because we, it had nothing to weird. Timing yeah, it like had this. nothing to do with the decision to cover this. Well, did, but yeah. then that blew up you, you this summer, where we have literally the crux of this character is that yeah. <laughs> is this town blaming him because they assume yeah. uh, just by chance. And Eddie Munson's mullet looks. Almost as good as Jason Baldwin's. Jason Almost. Baldwin had an immaculate mullet. Yeah. <laughs> he may not have had all the resources needed, but he had what he needed for a beautiful and they head did, of hair. They did a mullet well in the film, and they also got Jesse's hair pretty good in the film yes. from when he was arrested. I, uh, I, I, Vinny, I still blame you for the cathedral burning for choosing the hunchback. <laughs> Timing's weird. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, folks, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is a case near and dear to all of us, and we'd love to hear your feedback on it as well and your experience with it. Um, yeah, the West Memphis Three. Thank God they're out, and let's just hope that perhaps some sort of bigger justice can happen with that. I'm not going to hold my breath until then. Uh, the state of Arkansas can go fuck itself from a legal standpoint. Yes. <laughs> not all the people in Arkansas. We love you, but the state... And the legal system. I there. think Damien brought up a good point, though. Is is Jason wanting to fight, um, doing this? As Damien said, we can we can continue the fight, but we can continue it outside of, of prison. So, yeah. I, I think eventually something something's gonna. Maybe maybe the person that did it will even who knows. Who knows and if you want more of a harrowing elements of of what life was like for them, we didn't even touch. Damien Eccles' death row experience too, no. which Man, which I'll leave for listeners to look into. But there's yeah. some pretty intense stuff there. Yeah, if you yeah read Life After Death, um, that's Damien's first book, and you really learn about how rough his childhood was with that book. Uh, but then you learn about how horrible his life was on death row, 
and so I'd recommend it. Um, yeah, yep. There's that. <laughs> the, the scenario I I kind of always hope for is that somebody somebody that is responsible for this gets caught for something else. Yeah, and they and they're off the streets, and we can definitively tie them to it, even if we can't prosecute them for it. Just knowing. That's that's the, that's the toughest thing about this. It's like, man, I'm I'm glad those three guys are out where they they deserve to have their freedom. Man, that that's just there's just no justice here. No, you got you got uh, three different households that were absolutely devastated uh, who get nothing in return for for somebody having to answer. Not for all it. of them are the um, the mom and now um, buyers buyers yeah. buyers passed away himself. Twenty twenty. So both of them are, are gone now too. Well, yeah. So. All right. But I'm glad we talked about it. Yeah. Wrapping up another installment of True Crime with the Midwest Monsters. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot Toddy. Stay scary, my friends. Mm-hmm.